0: Join the guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting MaxLawEvents.com.
1: Welcome to the podcast edition of Maximum Growth Live, the number one program for lawyers who want to grow their practices. Each week, our hosts, Seth Price and Jay Ruane tackle the fundamental questions about how to grow the profit and profitability of your law firm. To watch the program live, submit your questions and hear the latest episode. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern on
2: Facebook for our live show. Maximum Growth Live is a production of Maximum Lawyer Media.
1: Hey there, Jay here. And this week we're doing something a little special with the podcast. We're actually combining both the Tuesday and And the Thursday shows. Because this week on Tuesday, Seth and I had a really deep conversation about firing employees and letting them go. And so we wanted to bring that context to you when we have our discussion this week with employment lawyer Dan Schwartz of the Connecticut Employment Law Block. We think seeing both parts of the conversation, as well as the special bonus of getting Ryan's book review here on the podcast, will really give you the full picture as to the hiring, firing of employees terminating employment, and that sort of thing. So, in this episode of the podcast, you're going to get not only the Tuesday show, but also the Thursday show as well. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy it. Hey there, hey there, Jay Ruane here. Welcome to another edition, the Tuesday edition of Maximum Growth Life. I like doing this with my fingers. I am Jay Ruane the CEO of FirmFlex Social Media Marketing for Lawyers, as well as Ruane Attorneys, a civil rights and criminal defense practice in Connecticut. With me, as always, down there, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, my good friend, Seth Price of Blue Shark Digital, as well as Price Benowitz. Seth, what does Blue Shark Digital do?
3: It attempts to take law firms' web presence and make them saturated in the market so you can't help but know them.
1: I love that. I love that. So we are um, live today, and it is a – it's a big day in American in American society, in American culture. And the reason why it's a big day today is that it's possible that the American people might decide to terminate somebody's employment. And so that brought me to thinking about uh, – Letting people go, uh, in the context of my law practice, and then this past weekend. So last night, you know, I, I, I'm sick of watching CNN. I I, I wind up um, I, I want to put on some reruns of The Office, and it's actually the episode where Michael Scott goes to New York to interview for Jan's job, but he doesn't know he's interviewing for his girlfriend's job. And uh, I, you know, I'm just thinking about. The exit, leaving, because I've got this thing that I showed in the Associates Academy to the Maximum Lawyer Guild uh, a couple of weeks ago um, that I stole, uh, you know, absolutely stole from William Eady, who's who's a phenomenal attorney, about this concept of stay, enjoy, leave in peace. But sometimes leaving peacefully is leaving peacefully for the firm, but it's not necessarily leaving peacefully for the employee. And I know you've been there. Um, And so I wanted to talk a little bit about exiting an employee and when is the right time because we've all seen it in the forums and uh, I know, you know, we're we're part of Maximum Lawyer uh, and so in the Maximum Lawyer Facebook group, uh, you always see the whole hire slow, fire fast. I know you've been in this situation before.
3: Can we talk about it? Uh, look, it, it is the biggest, most difficult, complex question in the sense that I can't tell you, the firm's been around 12 years, I can't tell you how many times we've known it's time to move on and haven't quickly enough. Again, guilty. There are times when we know it. My law partner and I, Dave, we spend lots of time discussing what do you do in these situations. And look, we've been very fortunate. Most of our issues have not been with key employees. Most of our issues have been with, you know, the, what we talked about that one to three year lawyer person or the paralegal person um, in a developing practice where you don't quite know what you need yet. And the most frustrating thing is academically, we both know if I put something up there, everybody's like, let them go, let them go. But we both know this is what the dirty secret is. What are you going to do on Monday when there's not somebody in that seat? Now, again, academically, are you better off doing it quickly? Yes. Do you find out worse stuff afterwards? Yes. But I, I, again, and when you go back, if I could have a DVR and go back to the decision making, how many times should I have done it more quickly? I'm sure many, but that is easier Monday morning quarterbacking when you're trying to figure out how to get the practice, you know, from year zero now, you no, know, for me, you're twelve, whatever it is, the the fact is there are times when you're making the best of a bad decision. Now, look, if there's theft, if there's fraud, there are third rail things where you're like, okay, that person's out today. But this is the piece that I, I, it would be great to have an honest conversation about, which is here's the academic rule and what should be done, but are there instances, where you do let something drag until you have somebody ready to take that over so that you're not left with a gaping hole that could cause problems on a bunch of different levels.
1: Yeah, you know, and one of the things that's so challenging for us as entrepreneurial-minded lawyers is that our practices really are an extension of ourselves. And you can have a million systems uh, in operation, but at the end of the day, you know, when you sign those paychecks on the front, and your name is on the door. Uh, you develop relationships with people that help you get to that point. And I, I like to, you know, liken the analogy of a, a well-run law firm to a well-run sports franchise, right? And and in those situations, you may draft a player for a year, a season. Uh, you may have a, a player that's going to be there for twenty seasons, uh, or five or ten. Uh, but but you have to understand that you, you need the people that you need to survive right now, and they may not be with you forever.
3: Well, I, one of our prior guests talked about it being a team, not a family. And right. that when that member of the team, Ficklestein talks a lot about this. Other people we've had on talk about this and that, you know, it, 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 when you look at it that way and I'll tell you that in recent months, I have gotten better. I'm taking more of the best practices advice about being proactive and letting somebody go. Historically, we would get to the point where we have so many things that we're doing in growth mode that there are times that somebody may remain and once they leave, yeah, it was bad and we found out bad stuff that had been going on along the way. But there's also when you do it the right way, where you do it on a Friday afternoon, you do it by the book, you consult with your employment lawyer, and I'm really excited to have a rock star employment lawyer. We can talk to some of the, about some of these issues this week, um, but that, What you know, a couple Fridays ago, I'm sitting at a little league playoff game dealing with a meltdown going when my staff is letting somebody go, where it was the right thing to do, the person was not performing, and yet all of a sudden you have one of these, you know, irate situations, which is now interpersonal, and you're worried about reviews for the firm, you're worried about all sorts of liability issues, and it's not as simple as. Hey, you know, in my estimation, one of the things that I'm really proud of was over the years, we strategically helped counsel people out the door when it wasn't right. That's the home run. Um, sure. And that when you're able to, I remember early, early on, we had a uh, uh, somebody who hit a bunch of different categories that could have meant lawsuit had they wanted to come after us. And th- it was not working. They were terrible. And we were able to get a resignation you know, in front of a firing. Anytime you can do that, you don't have unemployment to deal with, you don't have an angry person. So that to me is is the ideal. It doesn't always work, but let's say at least three at, one out of three times, you could probably counsel somebody out with the right person doing that. That's one of the things that I loved in building the firm that eliminated a bunch of this. The question is what happens when there is no insight? Somebody thinks they're God's gift to your firm and yet you know it's not working and it needs to move on.
1: Well, and and you know, I come, I, I I live close to Fairfield, Connecticut. I drive by, go to my parents, the headquarters of GE. And Jack Welch had this, you know, this very, you know, famous every year fire the bottom ten percent of your staff uh, because they're the weak link at that point. Um, but what do you do in a situation where you have somebody who is perfectly capable? You know, that maybe they maybe it's a it's a it's a young lawyer that's making in that you know. 65 to 80 range so they're getting paid market rate for a person with their talent level they're not hitting home runs they're they're maybe not even hitting singles regularly but they get the job done Uh, they just aren't you know they're a nine to fiver and
3: And that's the psychological right so look and there's also the human component and the team component every time you're about to make a decision how will this upset the apple cart you have one of the only benefits of covid is that that has dramatically changed if somebody's not cutting it there's less of an interpersonal issue that you have to deal with on the other side so let's take some positive from it right um, but that said, you know, I think that this is the next question. Again, we have a bunch of things that we sort of could unpack here, right? One is how quickly to do something once you know it's time to do it, right? Right and which is which is sometimes easier said than done despite what you know should be done but secondly you're talking about just upgrading this person might not even be in the bottom 10% maybe they are maybe they're right at the 10 they're not they're not harming you but you know you need to upgrade that to me can be the hardest piece because there's no gr- bright line it's like they have to be out on Friday but you know to get to the next level that you want to continue to upgrade and get that team better and better you see it with professional sports teams where a favorite player who's just not cutting it anymore gets cut, those things happen, and so because you have limited resources, we don't have salary right. caps, but we have a budget we have to work within. And so, what happens when you when you're ready for you say, "Hey, this guy's just you know not not getting us the offense we need," um, and that to me is almost is a whole nother, but even more complicated situation. So you don't have the negative that you think there's a there's awful stuff there, but mediocrity. Is there ever, you know, and to me, that's one of those moments in life because if you're in growth mode, it's sometimes very hard to remove that person. Take a paralegal. As you get multiple paralegals, the issue that you have is well, yes, they're not your best, but it, that means if you're ready for growth, you need another one. And then if you get rid of somebody, it means you need two. Yeah. And that to me is the, the unwritten story of the entrepreneur in growth mode that is most challenging and why I talked about in a previous episode of always be hiring, because if you're not fully staffed, you don't have a chance of moving up the mediocre to great. You, that person's stuck for the foreseeable future because the moment somebody leaves, now you're down one. And if you want to grow, then you need another one. And if you want to get rid of mediocrity, that's three. That's never happening. So mediocrity yeah. will stay.
1: And, and just the idea of saying that mediocrity will stay in your firm just it crushes your soul, right? Absolutely. But, but I mean, this gets back to something that we talked about with, with John Fisher. Uh, we talked about with Kristen. We talked about the role of systems in your organization because if you do have them documented, then it allows you to bring in somebody – Sort of that at, at, at a moment's notice, right? If you if you do have to make those quick trips, because you depending
3: have- Depending on the job. I, you know, the, well, okay, of course. It, 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 no, no, no. And the systems obviously help a hell of a lot, but it is not a panacea. There's a certain amount of information, depending. If you've gotten your job down to its strict widgets, God bless. But when you're taking over clients, knowing the predilections of those clients- turnover has cost on a bunch of different levels. So oh, yeah. it, again, it, it depends on the position. And while look, yes, yes, yes. The systems will make it easier, better, cheaper, and faster. It is not like it is painless and you, they're not, the person is not a widget. You can plug into that system and say, okay, go. That's the dream. But we, we all know that it's not a perfect handoff.
1: So have, has your firm developed a, a system or a practice of how to off board a lawyer who is leaving, whether by termination or by choice. Do you have like okay? This is the way we're going to do it. Because I'll tell you after you answer the question, I'll tell you how our firm. Uh, well, I'll, I'll let you.
3: I'll let you go first okay. because we we you know with a firm with many different practice areas, we've seen many different areas. The there are two to me. There are two different departures. There's the friendly departure, which is you know somebody's moving on for whatever reason either joint decision or their decision or even in your decision where the person is cooperative in the departure the the real issue the rubber and you need a policy and procedure for that but where it gets hairy and sticky is when somebody else has not bought in or has you know, gone off the deep end, which we've had a couple times in our, in our history. And the idea is how do you protect the clients and make sure they're not hurt? How do you protect the firm? How do you then get, get somebody else uh, moved into the place? I mean, those are the different areas, but love to hear your answer.
1: So we actually had, we had an interesting situation a while back. We actually had a amicable departure. Uh, and then when we got after that departure happened and we got into the weeds on the client, on the, on the client files, we found that the lawyer had been billing them for stuff that hadn't been done. Uh, we, we, you know, so we had to go back to the clients and say, "Hey, you got this invoice. What? Don't pay it. And if you've paid us, we're issuing you a refund." We've had some terrible situations. So because
3: well, you're it, doing. You want like the first thing is your is your relationship with the client. You want absolutely. to do no harm. Um, and you know, look, that is always the case. You know, the the piece that I would say, and this is something we look at the Max Law community. People want to hire an associate and part of you know look obviously the ethical considerations are you they need to be supervised but as people are growing and building very often you're doing all the other things to build your firm and the question is how much is your thumb on the supervision and so whenever i look at somebody wanting to come you know we have a practice group that i'd love to hire somebody i don't have anybody in it and i've now in my senior years of doing this will not will let cases go by the wayside. It pains me, but I will just say, Hey, we can't, we are not going to keep this practice group in in place until there's a person we like, know, and trust. Whereas before we might've taken a chance on somebody junior, the liability is so high and that's the, and then you're going to wind
1: up three months later and they're, and they're not going to be working out because they weren't the right
3: fit. Or they are, but the risk is too great. Like you're taking too much of a risk um, and so, to me, again, if you pyramid correctly, it works nicely because you're able to have people supervising, and it, you know, either you know, like the classic large firm model: partner, junior partner, senior associate, mid-level associate, junior associate, and it, it pyramids up, and that's how you know that makes sense, and there's supervision at every level. In the max law community, most of us don't have the don't have that full structure in place, and that. That is why when you talk about we talked about those the turnover from one to three years, you don't know like people coming out of law school, it's a complete wild card as to what their acumen is going to be. They may have great grades in law school and can take a law school test. common sense may go at the door. We've
1: well, and we've had
3: a yeah, oh I no, we've had a couple I've... of situations where people who were, you know, you know, Closely vetted mentees of people that we know walk in the door, seem to be fine, and something happens in their life, either, either uh, you know, mental health or substance abuse, or what have you, or some issue we don't know, where they go from performing to not. And there's not a note. They don't send you an email and say, hey, I'm go- I'm dr- jumping off the cliff today. It's one of those things that wa- one of the reasons with our intake team that we so carefully monitor an upset client call. Every every lawyer is going to get an upset client call at least once a year. Somebody's going to be upset. Family member, we, we know that. But it's almost like I think of the this what you hear about the CIA and chatter. If I hear too much chatter, you can tell the cadence of whether or not a lawyer is on game based on what you're getting back. We we know that based on a particular lawyer, particular practice area and the level of cases they're getting, what level of pushback from clients we should be getting within a standard deviation. And when you see stuff going beyond it, that's when you're like, hey, we got problems, we got to dig deeper and it's ne- the the worst part is it's never better than you think
1: yeah that, i mean that's really the, the 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 big takeaway that i think people should hear is that there's always many more problems than are visible uh at at first at first glance and so really what it comes down to then Seth, is you know is is it merely trust your gut i mean you've you've built this business you know your your instincts is it something where you have to say I'm the kind of person who gives, you know, three strikes before you're out. Um, you know what? I mean, obviously, there's going to be certain situations, maybe drug use, sex stuff, that type of thing. There, it's one strike and you're gone, right? Because you can't put your, your clients at risk of somebody who is taking uh, those types of chances. But, you know, are there other things that you can sort of let slide because it's not that big? I mean, where,
3: where do you draw the line? I mean, look, and the answer is on so many levels, I wish that I could hand you a playbook and say, I could tell you from my experiences, the ones that you don't come back from and the ones generally is anything dealing with, you know, uh, a lack of trust on client funds or anything like that. That's a third rail. It's your bar license. You're obviously not going anywhere near it. But the, the question is, there are lots of life situations, people that have had, you know, have done stupid things, either inside the firm or outside the firm. And, you know, there's, where where do you draw the line could be an entire an, an entire show unto itself. I think what we're talking about today is like once you know what you want to do, you know how do you do it? We're, we try to and again. We'll hear more on Thursday. But best practices we try to do Fridays where it's not upsetting the apple cart. We try to get as much in place as possible. We're sophisticated with systems, thanks to Jay, of making sure emails are shut down and fobs are shut down and things like that. But there's a whole world of what do you do in that gray matter before knowing that there's a definitive resolution as to what you want to do.
1: So let me ask you this then. Um, I have, okay, so you do Friday afternoons. That, that tends to be your, your – your, that is your policy. I've also heard, and I've done it Monday mornings, and I've done it Monday mornings because you don't want to give them something to stew about all weekend. You want them to be able to go back to where it is that they came from, go home, and perhaps they're home alone. Everybody else is at work. They can sort of collect themselves. That type of thing. But I, then we, you deal yeah, with and
3: it. we've done that. We, yeah. we look. We've mixed it up. Like it, it. It based on the situation. You take your 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 best thing. The problem with Monday mornings, and we've done it successfully. And we've done it unsuccessfully. Is everybody's there? And if somebody well, wants to make a scene, it's Monday morning. It sets the tone for the week. So it's, I don't disagree. That depending on the situation, if somebody's like, hey, go file for unemployment, you'll make more now than before and you can do stuff. I get that logic. I just found over time we picked something and it's funny. So I mentioned before I had a really bad situation a few weeks ago and I got on the phone with a few mentors in the space, uh, the significant others of, of, of good friends of mine who are in charge of HR at multi hundred or thousand person operations. And one woman had said she had just let 50 people go that day, including somebody who was at a funeral or doing it by, they had to do it by Skype and they had to do it that day, you know, awful, awful stuff. So I think, look, the number one thing is don't lose your humanity with it and figuring out what has the least opportunity for fuel to the fire. I don't disagree that it's great if somebody has somewhere to go in there. But if you're in, so maybe now with, with COVID, it's better because they can't create a stink. But we've had situations where do you really want somebody walking to their desk on Monday morning and setting the tone for the week as they get their box and they're carrying it out? Uh, I, I don't buy it. But they, look, there's a lot of times where there's, there is no good answer. Which one do you want to go with?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I was talking to uh, one of my mentors uh, earlier today and we were talking about having to let somebody go. He actually had called me just after he had let somebody go. Uh, and he had let a secretary that had been with them, but he's like, I have no work for her. He has no digital marketing, has no desire to do it. The man prints out his emails, handwrites on him a response and would give them to a staff member to respond to them. I mean, that's how antiquated this guy is. Uh, and he's like, I have no more work, I, and I I can't afford to keep her around for, for months at a time. He's like, but what do you do in this situation when you have somebody who well, you've been working with okay. for years? And I said, I said, look, you know, my way, when I when it comes down to firing somebody, I call them into my office. I have a witness present so that nobody-, nobody
3: yes, Which is very important. For everybody listening, always witness present.
1: Always have a witness present. Have them sit down and on the corner of my desk, basically in the eyeline of the person who I need to fire is a picture of my wife and kids. And it, it steals me. And I hate to say this, but I look at the person, I look at my wife and kids- And I say, I'm making this decision for the betterment of the people in that picture. And I just, and and today's your last day of work here. And thank you so much for your time, but it's time for us to part ways and for us to move on in different directions.
3: see, Uh, and I'll do some stuff that I'm sure I got yelled at on Thursday for, but to me, if this is not somebody who's done wrong by us, let's say it's an upgrade situation. Let's say it's a no work situation. My personal feeling is... It's not like to me, it's not. Yes, that's that's one way of thinking of it. But what I want to do is I want to make it as positive an experience as possible. It's like any breakup. Like, again, most of what we talk about on our show could go back to dating. So can I do something where, hey, get your unemployment? I don't want to hurt you. If I can help you get another job. I'm going to do that. I'll open up my Rolodex. Again, it's assuming it's not a bad situation. It's just not right for us for whatever reason. If there's a way that I can make that person again. This is something I could do when I was smaller. It's harder to do now. I'm a big fan of letting somebody stay on as a consultant. They might not make any money, but the resume can stay intact so they're looking for a job with a job. Oh, I don't so wanna... tell me how you
1: do that. That's interesting. Well, okay, again, I've, this is, this is, I've never okay, heard of
3: that. I'm so going off the grid here. This is, you know, I, I again, what what I was saying is it, this is something, particularly when we were smaller, and it was just me. Right? As you get bigger, it's harder to accomplish this. But again, I would like to be able. Assuming you're not messing with their unemployment, part of the problem about getting a job is if they're like you have to explain they're firing from your place. Okay. Again, this this can backfire. But when it happens, it's beautiful in the sense that you say to somebody, Hey, it's time to get another. It's your last. Almost like the outsourcing. You know, there's outplacement. If somebody if somebody could be, you know, somehow continue with a consultancy with you, that's not your day-to-day work, it may or may not be paid, may end up being the severance that they're going to be getting, but something that allows them to keep it on their resume legitimately so that you're not, you're not, you know, because look, for you, if they get another job, it's off your unemployment, right? right? It's they're happy. They don't hate upon you. Anything I can do that makes them happy like in a breakup again using the dating analogy. You're really bitter if somebody breaks up with you. By the time you're dating somebody else, you're a lot less bitter about it. Right? Um, and so it may not be, maybe you may still right. be, but you're a lot less than you were the day that somebody's saying, I am breaking up with you. Quote the Seinfeld line.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So now let, let me ask you another question. Um, when it is a uh, when you're going from mediocre to better, where it's an upgrade situation, do you have a a, a, a practice of giving a severance? Uh, you know, because in, in my experience, most of the people I've let go, I've let go for, you know, malfeasance. And so I'm just like, I'm not giving you anything. You screwed this up. Go collect unemployment. You should say that,
3: and I would say, you know, severance can be a very powerful thing to make sure that you you leave. You know, it's the parting gift. Uh, you know, some might call it the uh, the Jeter gift basket. Um, yes. You know, you, you, nobody speaks ill of Jeter. They have a nice basket of side baseballs. Um, you know, with, uh, with that, I would argue that, it, ironically, it is very often the person that you're getting rid of for bad, bad stuff that that money is what buys you know you you money solves a lot of problems i always say and that again you you were you, they wronged you they this they that you want to eliminate a problem and there are times when you suck it up and even though you have no desire to do it and it's not the right thing to do that you want to buy peace and there are times when a few dollars will buy peace again if a week or two of salary buys peace in a situation where you know person's going out and uh, is flaming down and you can prevent them from hating on you for X period of time. I, it's not always the craziest thing. Again, case by case, your personality may not dic- may not allow you to do it. But I have seen that strategically placed severance uh, can be very valuable, um, especially even when you are fully in the right, in the sense that it's just one less. You know, it. it, it, it you know, if for me, if I can get a release signed. And we're talking probably more bluntly than we should on this show. This may be one of these shows that has a short shelf life and will not (laughs) live on. Um, That um, I truly believe that when the release is signed, that that is worth something to you, even when the person was the person doing bad stuff. So you know, to me, and again, I think we should talk to Dan about that, you know. Yeah, when, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a
1: really interesting time, you know, and especially Corona, COVID, whatever you want to call it, sort of upended the way, I mean, I think with people being more remote, uh, it becomes easier to terminate somebody. I mean, you just cut off all their access to stuff, especially if everything's in the cloud and uh, and nobody's there to see them walk out with their tail between their legs, but it also, you know, can impact you. And And, and honestly, for a lot of people who are listeners, it may not necessarily be you know, a, uh, an upgrade situation. It may be, well, I don't need that body anymore. Let me give you an example. I had for years, for years, a staffer whose job it was basically to call our Connecticut DMV. And her job was basically to get into the office at 8.45 a.m., dial up, and be on hold. And it wasn't unusual for her to be on hold for three or four hours a day. To be able to get through to somebody to ask the questions we needed a- answered, and about a year before we let her go, for other reasons, there was a change, and now you right. can email. You could I, email.
3: Right. So Is now she means, wasn't. But I didn't the perfect, know this. Right, but that's the per- oh, you didn't know that she was doing I it didn't for a year. Know.
1: For a year she would basically come into the office send her morning emails get the answers by 9:10 and her first 5 hours of the day work was done we weren't assigning her extra work she was basically working a full-time gig for a part-time job for a, a part-time job for a full-time salary and I didn't know this because I wasn't involved in that process anymore. Uh, By the way, worked. a
3: topic for another show will be how do you deal personally when you find out shit? I had one of these moments today where something is going on that is, you, you sit, you profess, we talk about it on the show, and you find out your own firm isn't doing it. That to me is like, yeah. It happened today. It happened hey, today. Hey, for me, so let's like, save it for, for another. Because like I, I just oh, had yeah, one man. of these moments today. I literally go and speak nationally on a stage about something. And I found out that we're not following that practice in our firm. And I'm just like a business practice. I'm just like uh, your head wants to explode.
1: My head exploded at about 1137 this morning when I was looking for something. And I couldn't find it in our systems. Now, it turned out to be there categorized improperly but it, I was like, can you believe we don't have it? I'm screaming at my partners. What is, I mean, we had people and, and yeah, we wound up finding what we needed. I went back in, changed the category problem solved, but yeah, that's just crazy. But, um, we've talked a lot about firing today. Um, and maybe there was a good reason for it. Um, you know, but I think what we should do now is take a quick break. Let's bring in Ryan. He'll do his book review. Uh,
0: Hey, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. The Guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Guild members get so many benefits, including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the Guild to check out all the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us now let's get back to
2: the episode hi it's ryan mckean here with this week's episode of just book it and i'm going to talk to you today about grant cardone's 10x and this is an interesting one because it is the last book that I read on a plane, which was coming back from a a flight back from Washington DC to Hartford. And um, this was in February of this year. And one of the things Cardone talks about in this book, this book is really set in 2008, right before the, and he talks a lot about right before the financial crisis hits, what happens when the financial crisis hits and what he does to really build his business during the financial crisis. And as I'm flying back, um, this is right, uh, right at the end of February, so COVID is is kind of a thing where it's on the radar um, of folks. But that weekend we had just spent, my wife and I had spent some time in D.C. Uh, we'd had we had lunch at a restaurant right near Price Benowitz. Uh, we had gone to the African American History Museum and been been in crowds. So it's really sort of the last normal weekend uh, of my life uh, in 2020 and this book is, is, is pretty good um, you know cardone's basic thing is you know well 10x so if you if you want to accomplish something you take massive massive action that is the point of the book that gets drilled home over and over and over and you know his basic point in the book is look if you want to go to the gym twice a week for 30 minutes what you're gonna get is sore if you want to go to the gym seven days a week and you're there for two to three hours and you're lifting appropriately you're lifting right and you' You're eating appropriately. You're gonna get ripped. Um, so his thing is don't don't waste your time doing the gym two days a week for a half hour. You know if you're gonna commit to something, commit to massive action, action that actually moves the difference. And he repeats this throughout. His book, um, and he in one of the things he also repeats is you know during this financial crisis it was a time for growth and it was a tra- time of tremendous opportunity for him and for his businesses which you know helped shape me coming into what we've experienced in 2020 with the economy and COVID but there are really two specific points that Cardone makes in this book that I think are lessons I take to heart and lessons I would love to share with you. And the first is that, you know, Cardone argues that the greatest threat to any small business is obscurity. And I think he's right on that. A lot of places make great pizza, uh, but in your state, in your city, there are famous places that make pizza. And that notoriety is really what allows their business to thrive versus a competitor who makes equally as good of a pizza. But is unknown within the marketplace. So, as you think of threats to your business, we tend to think of, you know, cash flow. We we can think of um, taxes. We can think of employee retention. We can think of generating leads. But really, obscurity is your threat. So making your business or your career less obscure and taking those actions over and over actually increases your safety. And I know for me and for a lot of folks out there, putting yourself out there can be enormously uncomfortable and it's why people don't do it or don't like to do it. And that's that's understandable, but that's an opportunity that if you're willing to push through and become you know, not, not famous in the sense of you know, Taylor Swift, but really niche famous, famous within your market for what it is that you do, you're going to get more safety for your business. So as you think of your marketing, as you think of what it is you do with your day, think about attacking your obscurity problem because most of us have it. So more, less obscurity equals more security. The second point is that Cardone makes is that anxiety feeds on time. So we all have that thing that we don't want to do, that thing that is uncomfortable, the, the bad news that we have to deliver. And Cardone talks specifically about, you know, eliminating the time between you, you're thinking like, okay, this is bad. I have to tell the client the case isn't going as well as we had hoped, or I have to tell uh, an employee that they're no longer on our team. Boss. The the shorter the distance between you you thinking that and you actually taking action on that the better it is because you are going to waste a tremendous amount of anxiety if that gap is long if you think oh my gosh you know something is wrong here i have to tell this person and you you know you ruminated about for days or weeks or, or months even um, so shortening that gap is going to give you more energy to what allow you to take the massive action that you need in your business so I hope you got something out of this. Can't wait to uh, stop by again next week. Thank you.
4: In this world today,
0: if you want to grow your business, you want to grow your firm, you want to take on more cases and make a bigger impact, you have to have a digital blueprint.
4: Statistically, throughout the time that we've been working with Blue Shark Digital, our law firm, the Atlanta Divorce Law Group, grew over 1,400%.
1: Seth and his team have years of experience in this area. Blue Shark is truly a part of the firm. So I don't consider Blue Shark any different than the employees in my office. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Maximum Growth Live. I am one of your hosts, Jay Ruane, CEO of FirmFlex, social media marketing for lawyers, as well as Ruane Attorneys here in Connecticut, a civil rights and criminal defense firm. With me, as always, my good... See, I did it. I knew I was going to do it. Seth, (laughs) I flipped this up. I put me on one side of the screen and you on the other, and I did it again. I'm pointing the wrong way, but here we are, Seth Price, Founder of Blue Shark Digital, SEO for lawyers, as well as the fastest growing law firm on the East Coast, Price Benowitz. Seth, how are you doing this week?
3: Doing great. Uh, You know, a lot of things going on, but I'm thrilled to have Dan Schwartz here. We started on Tuesday our conversation about, you know, letting people go. Dan is one of the smartest guys in the room. This guy is a brainiac who has figured out, I believe, you know, the, the code of how do you advise businesses on employment law issues? Because it's not just knowing the law, but how does it apply to the bottom line and everything else? So I I can't wait to sort of be able to dig deep for our audience about, look, it is the area that is the sort of Ultimate, you don't know what you don't know. You go in to start a business. All you want to do is, you know, hire people, scale, make money, and don't realize that with every step you take, there is quicksand.
1: Yeah, you know, the thing that's interesting, I've known of Dan uh, for at least a decade now. We actually, uh, I think we both won an award from our, our monthly, our weekly uh, Connecticut Lawyers newspaper 15 years ago. Right. Uh, And so I met him at the award ceremony uh, and I knew he was starting his blog. uh, And that really has turned into something. And I think, you know, one of the cool things about him is that, uh, well, besides your little UPenn fanboy thing that I'm sure is going to happen when when we get into the conversation with him. But um, one of the cool things about it is he's really an example of do what you love uh, because as, as I've gotten to know him, and you knew him back when when you were at at Penn together, you know he was a writer, and so he found a way to take his love of writing, and put it out there, and and that his blog. I mean, it's uh, you know a top ten blog ABA. I mean, it's 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 really, it's got a national presence coming from a, a, a you know a one guy doing employment law stuff in in a small state. It's amazing to see how many people. Source to him as a voice in that community, don't you think? Well,
3: right. Not only is he really smart, but you said he does what he loves. Again, I've talked about this a lot. Somebody says, "Should I blog?" Do you love to write? His answer is yes. If you pause and don't know, or maybe it's not going to happen. You're going to have a blog with one blog post on it and a whole bunch of blank. So if he's a great example of digging deep, if you love making videos, make videos. If you love writing, write. And he has definitely dug deep and it has served him well as he's transitioned from firm to firm. That asset has, has gone with him.
1: You know, it's interesting. We talk about doing what you love. And this guy over here, he wanted us to just do a podcast. And I said, no, 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 no. I want to do a live show on social media. When we started this, seven, eight months ago now, Uh, and I think I've brought you around to the social side. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about social media with Dan, because that's something that can impact law firms uh, long term. But what I'd like to do now is I don't want to keep him waiting. We've got new software. So he's queued up. So what do you say we take a quick break here from our sponsors, and we'll bring him in. And we'll talk about employment law with Dan Schwartz, founder of the Connecticut employment law blog. Sound good? Sounds great. Awesome. We'll be right back, folks, just a minute with Dan Schwartz.
4: The lawyers who will succeed in the next decade are the ones who are focusing on building their brands where people meet. And there is no place better to build your brand than on social media. With the FirmFlex DIY social media plan, hundreds of lawyers like you are using social media to build their brand and become the one lawyer in their community that people know, like, and trust. By spending even just five minutes a day on social media marketing, you can engage with hundreds or thousands of people in your local community who will need your services. By cultivating a network of followers, you build a book of business that you can market to the next decade and beyond. If you are looking for a solution to help you jumpstart your social media marketing, look no further than the DIY plan at GetFirmFlex.com. The DIY was created by a small firm lawyer for people just like you. Helping you connect with local people online and build your brand and engage people in the topics they want to talk about, all for under a hundred dollars a month. To find out more, visit getfirmflex.com.
3: Dan Schwartz, great to have you here. Thank you for being with us. A uh, nice
5: hat, Seth. Happy to be here.
3: Well, uh, <laughs> wearing well, my pen hat. My pen hat today, uh, Dan and I went to UPenn together. And besides being a partner at uh, Shipman and Goodwin, um, he's also the uh, author of one of my favorite blogs in the country, uh, one of the top legal blogs, the Connecticut Employment Law blog. Uh, Dan, what you have done, which while many people are out there regurgitating news blogging, you sat there and said, OK, I can combine pop culture, family, you know, current events, and law and really created something very special which has been sort of i think the beacon for what many of us have attempted to do um tell us a little bit about the journey of creating this blog and how how it's uh, you know taken your practice to uh, new heights
5: well it's funny you have the pen hat because that really does start my journey I worked uh, at the University of Pennsylvania on the daily Pennsylvanian which was the uh, you know award-winning college newspaper and I sort of half our friends became lawyers and half of them became journalists uh, editors of Financial Times and Forbes and everything Forbes. else uh, and and part of me always sort of missed that uh, uh, and you know if I could have been an op-ed columnist for the New York Times and get paid just to write, that wouldn't have been so bad. And legal writing isn't necessarily the most exciting. You know, the contracts, the legal briefs. So I had always been missing that from my practice. Um, And when the opportunity came along, I met Kevin O'Keefe, you know almost 14 years ago now at an ABA conference in Montreal um, and just use that as an opportunity to say, hey, I I wonder if I start um, writing a blog, what will happen? Uh, never dreaming of, you know, again, 13, 14 years later to be in the position that I'm at. Uh, And so the the journey really started with wanting to write, which I think is an important part of a a blog, being able to write. uh, and, And then Moving on to, how do I want to build my name in my practice? Now, there was an, an attorney who would be on the local radio or, or such. And I was wondering, like, how did that person get to be there? Right. Um, and, and part of it is just name recognition. And so the hope was, well, you know, maybe I'll get my name out there a little bit more. Maybe I'll, people will hear about it. Um, and it's sort of taken off, uh, off from there.
3: Well, look, I think one of the testaments is you're in the uh, the B2B space. You're the person, the reason we have you here today is we want to talk about, you know, as law firm owners, most of the people listening are B2C law firm owners that are dealing with the trials and tribulations of scaling and growing a firm, hence, you know, our, our call to action here, but that in the B2B space, building a name is infinitely harder you know, than in the B2C space, in my opinion, the fact that you've been able to accomplish that there is real testament. So when somebody says, I can't do it in the B2C space, they're saying, if this guy can do it in the B2B space, you can certainly find some way of carving out a niche in the B2C space. So good for you. But the reason we wanted you here today, and what we talked about on, uh, on Tuesday, was the concept of What lawyers don't know what they don't know. You start your firm. Many of the people listening don't have any employees. They start adding them. And I told the anecdote of that life moment when I was coming back from the first Max Law Con, where we had somebody melt down in an alcoholic stupor in the middle of the night. And you're like, what do I do now? They're like, there's a lot of stuff. There's no roadmap. Um, I'm sitting at the, the gate in, in St. Louis for a Southwest flight, and I was lucky enough to find Dan on the phone who could talk me off the ledge and say, hey, these are the parameters of what you're doing with. So for those people out there, as people start adding employees, what is your advice to people as far as, you know, there's so many things that can bring you down. There are ethical issues, there's finance issues when you're running your firm well, but from a, you know, what are the major pitfalls that people should start thinking about as they start to build a practice? from an employment law point of view
5: so from from an employment p- point of view you know having some advice upfront. Um, I think your your point is one that I always talk about. The things you don't know are the ones that should keep you up at night. Um, it, it, you know, so if that means hiring an attorney to help advise you, great. It might just mean hiring a outside HR person a P or a, a professional employer organization who can help manage um, sort of your onboarding of your employees, make sure your paperwork is straightforward, um, and who can make sure that you're not messing up on the the easy stuff, the wage and hour laws. I mean, that, that's a big issue. Uh, you, you know, are people properly classified? Just because you're paying someone a salary does not necessarily mean that they're not eligible for overtime. So your paralegals, um, that's been a big issue over time that those people likely in many places deserve to be paid overtime. It means tracking the hours and and all of those things. So uh, in terms of pitfalls, wage and hour issues is number one on my uh, list, in in part because the uh, failure to uh, follow them is costly. Um, And that's easy money for a uh, enterprising plaintiff's firm.
3: Uh, and that was for me second. when I started. When somebody said, "Hey, I want wage and hour case," and I start writing content to put on my site to refer to a friendly law firm, I'm like, "Well, if I'm putting this on my site, I might as well be making sure that we've buttoned this up pretty well." Uh, you know, the independent contractor law. Another one. A lot of us start our firms leveraging independent contractors. And back in the day, I used to point and say, "Hey, FedEx." has their drivers as independent contractors. Anything I do north of that should be fine. And then the Supreme Court came out and said, oh, maybe there's not. So, you know, it's, it's also, I assume, keeping up with what is going on so that what may be the law one day blink five years may not be the law anymore.
5: Yeah. I, I think if you're relying on the law 10 years ago, you're you're really behind. I mean, the, the basic framework is there, but the tests on who's an independent contractor, even your interns, you know, have changed yep. so much over time. Um, and, and so I, I think if you're relying on old guidance, like go at the very basic you know, go watch CLE on some of the basic employment stuff just to get uh, up to speed on it. You don't have to take a complex course, but, you know, the ABA or uh, any number of people, even my firm, we just did four hours of free CLE for people uh, on those issues. So, independent contractors, you know, should be a big, big red flag because that's another area that people get into big trouble
3: with. Well, first I apologize for the phone. That is because I had to, homeschooling. I actually had to remove a phone from one of uh, one of our pupils, who had, so I have an extra <laughs> phone that is not mine with me right now. But it, let's we actually just this has been coming up on the on the uh, Facebook um, Max Law feeds where people are asking about interns. What is your guidance? In one sense, it's free labor. I've taken the purse as I've grown, I realize I have a target on my back. I've said, you know, i'd rather pay get the people i want have them stay but as people are starting jay you relate you've had some some free labor over time i, I know i have uh, in the in the distant past hopefully outside the statute of limitations but there have been the 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 laws on uh intern labor have become more clear over time Do you want to just sort of uh, opine on that generally
5: yeah, no, I, I I think what's been clear, the test is, is it really for an educational purpose or is the employer getting some benefit from it? If the person is just shadowing it, there's no um, work, substantive work that they're doing. And if it's in conjunction with, the, particularly with a person's class work that they're doing, maybe they have to write a report for a high school class or for college. At least there's some educational purpose involved. Otherwise, pay them. Um, well, let me ask you a question. If there is
3: college credit, the old sort of I remember way back in the day, NBC for the page program that I always wanted to get into but didn't, you know, you had to actually get college credit. A lot of lawyers uh, would look the other way and said, as long as they said they were getting college credit, um, is there is there still a path if somebody Is there a legal path if somebody still wants to get something where, yes, you're getting some shadowing of courts, but you'll also help with our files or some writing or, you know, social media? Is there a quid pro quo where you can get some value as long as they are getting that educational piece?
5: For me, not a a place that I would feel comfortable with. I think that's just too much of a risk in this day and age um, to do it. I would say um, the reason I can't give a straight answer in the whole lawyer, it depends, is because each state has some very specific rules. The general federal rule, which had been very uh, pro-intern under the Obama administration, said you, you really need to work with a school um about it so I think in the absence of that, uh, you should be paying uh the people if it's a family member, you know the daughter who's coming in and spending a few hours, that's different than any you know an outside person uh who's there. so um it, while the tendency is hey let's let's get something for nothing. I think that um that just puts you at a risk that you don't need to take.
3: So my final question before I toss to, to Jay for some more, you know, we, we talked on our, our last show about when you know you need to fire somebody. And there are times when, you, you know, there are moments where you want to move somebody out. You know it's not right for whatever reason. Um, and the pull and tug that I've gotten with Employment counsel has been, well, you need to document, you need to make your case. Um, you know, there's risk waking up in the morning no matter what. Um, How do you advise clients to balance the risk of potential litigation with the bad apple that could upset the apple cart or infect other apples, whatever analogy you want to go with? You know, talk to us a little bit about balancing internally the the ability to fire fast with the liability that tail that might stay with you.
5: So you're right, no termination is um, liability proof. You know, someone somewhere is gonna try to make a claim. What you're trying to do is reduce the risk. So certainly having documentation help uh, and lawyers aren't necessarily the best at confrontation in the office. Um, You know, you're sort of go along to get along. And so by the time you've reached your limits, um, there should be something there to rely on if there isn't, that doesn't mean you can't fire someone. What I say is if you want to balance off that risk, offer some severance in exchange for a release. Um, That's one way to resolve it. If someone, you're offering someone a month or two of severance in exchange for a release right now in this economy, that's probably a decent deal uh, for some people. So, um, you know, don't run afraid from having to make the tough decisions. I think a a bad employee can really have a very negative effect on your entire business, uh, on morale, on productivity, all of those things. But um, make sure you're doing it right and understand the protected classes that are out there. Uh, the documentation at hiring, you know, make sure it's clear that it's at will. And ultimately, bounce it off of, you know, a, a lawyer to make sure you're not missing anything. Five, 10 minutes can save you hours and hours later on. Jay?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Dan, thanks for being with us. It's really interesting to me that as you grow your law firm, there's really sort of this core group of advisors that you need to to be able to tap in, in these important times, like someone like yourself, an employment lawyer, like a good CPA, you know, that type of thing, so that you're in the position to make informed decisions. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, employee employment manuals, because those seem to be things that can get some firms in trouble because they, see, you know, when you're a small firm, you'll find something online You'll download it. You'll kind of customize it, but it doesn't necessarily ever get updated. And so you run into problems. So is there is there any sort of guidance you could give to uh, these lawyers? Like, hey, I'd rather you not have one because you could be making many more problems for yourself than having one that's way well, out of date. And uh,
3: guilty as charged. Like we have held off and, and minimized employment manuals because I just – I always just – it only like it does nobody's going to follow it necessarily and the a fear of it coming back in litigation is so extreme
5: so if there's one policy to have okay you want to follow one thing have a strong sexual harassment prevention policy if nothing else you absolutely need that okay um as for the rest of the manual keep it simple and keep it to the things that you can follow. Um, You you know, at a smaller firm, you don't need long, detailed policies uh, on everything of, you know, start and stop times and, and, uh, you know, what the snow day policy is and your emergency contact policy. Um, Keep it to the the simple, straightforward things that you might need uh, social media um, policy, I think, is one that it, it is a useful endeavor and sort of a fair use, uh, a computer usage policy that people know what are the the rules, maybe a dress code uh, policy, though, you know, in this work from home age, sort of anything, uh, it seems to be going now. So figure out what are the areas most in need and come up with some specific policies there. I'd rather uh, an employer have good upfront offer letters um, and take care of the sexual harassment stuff then worry about uh, all the policies and procedures that you may not be ready for. Because ultimately, you need someone who's going to be responsible for updating that. Um, and given the number of laws that have been changing, the paid leave laws that are now proliferating, um, you're just creating more uh, hassle for yourself. And if you're not following your own policies, you're creating a roadmap for for a lawsuit against you.
3: you know Jay had a point the other day, we had a disagreement. I, I believe, or have not believed, but have generally morphed into a Friday afternoon termination. Jay seems to like the Monday morning. What is your best practice of when, when to do a termination, assuming that you have two people in the room?
5: If you had to ask me between a Monday morning and a Friday, it's Monday morning. Because Friday afternoon, all they're going to do is um, stew on it. All weekend, they can't do anything. They can't apply for unemployment. They can't reach out to their contacts. Um, it's a bad situation.
3: Well, you want to make it Monday I'll, I'll, afternoon. I'll, I'll it. So Thursday, yeah. Thursday afternoon, where they have Friday end of day versus beginning of day. Um, you know, you you don't you don't. Um, my fear has always been the the angry person storming through an office and causing a scene um you know versus you know everybody's gone and th- that you the the explosions happen when when there's nobody to hear uh but uh, point, point well taken about being able to do something actionable within a short period of time
5: yeah I, I don't think it makes a huge difference ultimately one way or the other i think it's most important you keep it short this isn't a discussion it's we're here to let you know what's going on this is not up for debate or or discussion. Here's your termination package. We thank you for your service, um, and, and move on. It a good termination discussion is no more than five or ten minutes. Any more than that, and it's long. Goodbyes are never good.
3: Is there anything that you mistakes you see people making during the termination process? You know, you're you're going to have uh, for some people here. They don't have outside counsel. They're they're winging this. Um, you want to release. Uh, A, any best practices for the release, and focusing specifically on the fact that once you get it signed, you hope that that's bulletproof. In theory, the person should have time to review it, uh, bring it to their own counsel, et cetera. What are some of the basic steps that somebody should take universally? I know individual state laws will differ, but any best practices you you, uh, advocate for?
5: Yeah, so with regard to releases... um you know, understand that if a person's over 40, there are specific rules that apply, and they're not common sense. But it's you have to give someone 21 days to consider it. They have to be given seven days to revoke it after they sign it. Um, they have to be advised. They have a right to consult with an attorney, and. Be advised as well that they're um among the claims they're giving up is a age discrimination claim and then finally if you're doing two or more people on the same day as part of a either reduction in force or a group termination there are other rules that apply like a 45 day waiting list period so uh, you know it's really important when you're doing the termination releases that you know that this older worker benefit protection act applies um, and that's something uh, you know most employment lawyers know but I think most people outside they'll just pull something from the internet and it must be good and and that's a real pitfall I think that to, that exists out there
3: well, Jay, I'll let you ask the next question, but I just got to say that as much as I love speaking to you and commiserating about the Yankees and, and other topics we have in common, uh, it, 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 it always gives me the, the 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 heebie-jeebies here because I'm like, okay, are we doing this? Are we doing that? There are so many different plate quagmires you can find yourself in that even just in the last few minutes, I'm like, I better check to make sure we're doing this. The Jay,
1: yeah, it, it's it, it's it's somewhat frightening having this conversation because you know, no matter how good you are. Uh, I'm sure, even at your firm, there's some things that may not be done 100 percent the right way, Dan. You know, because it's just the nature of people to to okay, we're going to do it this way, and it just sort of happens. And you know, that's
5: just- yeah. Look, we're, it, it's all a learning process. I think the scary thing for me has been, um, I, I feel like during this pandemic we're all going back to that sort of like, I'm a law school student, I'm just learning the law. (laughs) Um, Particularly in the first month or two, we were dealing with uh, furloughs, which no one had really talked about much before. A shared work program in Connecticut, which allows employers to reduce hours and have unemployment pay for part of it. Um, and then this um, Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act and the the Families First Coronavirus um, Response Act. Those are all huge issues that there wasn't a lot there. So we were we were flying by the seat of our pants for the early months responding to phone calls, and that's uh, that felt that uneasiness uh, for a while. And now it's a little more, um, sure, like, okay, we got new quarantine rules, great, bring them on. We, we know what to expect about it. But uh, if you're an employer, you should be worried right now because there's way too much going on and not as much guidance as there should be.
1: So, Dan, I have a question for you because you brought it up uh, briefly before, and it's something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is a social media policy because, um, you know, I've got a social media agency, and we do – social media for lawyers, but we also run it in house and and so one of the things that we created years ago was like a a 10 point social media policy. Have you seen in your practice law firms get into trouble with how they allow their employees to use their social media uh, and, and how they discipline employees based on their employees use of social media? You
5: know, I I think if there's an area where I haven't seen law firms really be too aggressive, it has been with the social media. I think initially firms were taking a very hands-off view. Uh, Like, oh, you want to do a blog? Like the firm I was at, you know, prior to this one was like, oh, no, we don't want anything to do with your blog. Uh, You do it on your own. It'll be in your name and, you know, Whatever. You would almost never do that now, right? If there's a legal practice blog, it would be, oh, we have to do it under our firm umbrella. Uh, there have to be rules about it. So things have changed over time, I think, as firms realize the value of that. I, I think if um, I had to say where firms overreact is um, a they sort of prevent employees from giving personal opinions and their personal voice. And and we all know uh, people and businesses, they hire lawyers. They don't really hire necessarily law firms per se. Some do, but, you know, they want to have a good relationship with their lawyer. They want to hear from them. They want to know that they're a real person. And a blog provides that opportunity. Social media provides that opportunity. So I think where, where law firms tend to overreact is, well, everything needs to, you know, go through someone at my firm. Well, you know, do I really need to wait a day to have a Facebook post? It's just not realistic. I think trusting your employees to do the right thing, um, giving them some guardrails, some bumpers to to follow, is far more effective than having everything funnel from one through one person because um, you're really losing out on opportunities that way.
1: You know, Dan, one one last question for me before I let Seth take over and and finish it up. Um, You know, you come to us from the big firm B2B world, uh, and I'm sure there's some discussion within your own practice area uh, within your practice group and in your firm about how to grow, you know, that vertical, that that business that you have. But it sounds to me what you're saying is that there's a really a need on the solo small firm, small business side. For you know, smart thinking, defense-oriented employment lawyers to be able to market themselves to that group of people, uh, because there's opportunity there. That, because you know, the small flower shop or you know the, the the body shop still could have employment law issues, but they they're not in the position to think I'm going to call Shipman and Goodwin. And there's really not a lot of B two C employment lawyers from a defense side out there that that I'm aware of. Uh, and I'm in the industry. Is that something that you think is, is missing in the in, in defense employment law uh, side is, is a, a, a way to approach the solo and small businesses uh, that are out there?
5: Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting, even though I'm at a big firm. I mean, I've got the largest of large clients in Connecticut and then the smallest of smalls, the solo and small firms. And I, I think um, we struggle because I want to help those people. The solo and small firms, but I understand. You know, we end up pushing our rates. You know, our rate structure is going to be a challenge for some of those people, uh, and so I do think there's an opportunity for a, a lower cost uh, alternative to sort of swoop in and say, "Hey, we wanna um, we we wanna be that firm for the for the solo and small firms uh, who are out there." Um, and you know, it, it's interesting. During this pandemic, in particular, I've started advising smaller law firms on employment law, which I never really thought of as um, as a way to do business. But you realize that's in some ways the highest compliment is the lawyer's lawyer, right? Um, being involved on those things. So I, I do think there is there is a market for for that. The the one caveat that I would give is there are HR people, human resource consultants masquerading as employment lawyers and actually some former employment lawyers who are HR consultants. And that line of where is HR and where is employment law gets blurred, particularly at the smaller levels. So that's the the risk, uh, you know, although there's an opportunity, the risk is, you know, some firms say, well, why do I need to spend 200, 250 on a lawyer? I can get an HR consultant for 120, maybe even lower with a PEO that's good enough. Um, And so you're going to have to find that niche uh, out there. But I've always been amazed in some ways that more people in Connecticut aren't doing employment law blogs like ours or the ones that did have sort of stopped. Because as much as I appreciate my blog, there's far, far um, too much room in this space to um, let me go a little bit unchallenged.
3: You know that's that's one of those things, and I, I agree. I think that when you're starting out, a lot of people sort of rely upon an HR consultant. It's better than nothing, right? You know the person out of your payroll group that's that's there. At least they can give you some basic fundamentals on, you know, on overtime rules and things like that. Uh, Where would you recommend somebody going? Do you have any particular blog posts out there where, like, if you're if you haven't focused on employment law before, what are the top ten pitfalls? Is there a a place where the checklist where a small business owner can go and sort of say, okay, here are the areas. Let me just make sure that I'm at least thinking about them. For example, today I was not. Focused. I hope somebody on my team was on the over 40 issue. So is there a place of like, here are the top 10 pit, pitfalls you may not know about?
5: The answer is no. Um, I, the, the resource that I use that is... Um, sort of our cheat sheet, actually, is a product offered by Westlaw called Practical Law. Um, And it is the best resource I've seen out there. They've got templates for offer letters, for separation agreements, for everything else. Um, And it's a huge time saver for for me and for clients that we work with, particularly outside my jurisdiction. Um, It doesn't give you all the answers, but it certainly gives you a, a, a head start on that. And I think that's a really underrated product because it really does add value. Um, but there are definitely employment law blogs that I follow to keep up on things. Uh, John Hyman in Ohio is par none. Um, Jeff Nowak uh, does FMLA issues uh, like no one that I that I know. So it's following those people and getting um, getting some good advice there. But no, it's a It's definitely an opportunity for someone. Uh,
3: Any final sort of words of wisdom? I appreciate that you've been there for me, even though you're you're out of state. You'll take my calls late night and have talked me off the ledge because in one sense, it must be entertaining because the, the, the fact patterns are always crazy people doing insane things that don't fit into the boxes that you have to figure out how do you how do you navigate both the law and the business and to me that's the most frustrating is that you not only have to understand what the law is but then you also have to be able to continue your business and make a buck and make sure you're protecting the rest of your employees for a viable business uh to me i'd love to just get your final thoughts on how you recommend people try to balance that that sort of yin yang
5: Uh, well, first of all, I thought I was promised Yankees tickets for life. Uh, that's that was my understanding <laughs> they, of the Jays
3: box uh, in the Legends. I, they're, they're, they're
5: right. <laughs> oh, <I got laughs> right now, I'm not sure how valuable they are. So,
3: right, we'll get you a cardboard um, cutout. <laughs>
5: Uh so I, you know, I look, I, I think for for businesses, employment law gets the short shrift. Um we, we know that particularly a starting up, that hey, I just want to get myself uh off the ground. But I emphasize time and again, a solid foundation can build your house far bigger than than not. So if you need a Uh, restrictive covenants on uh, some people who are doing business development for you, great. Put those in place at the beginning because you cannot put the genie back in the bottle on sales leads. Um, And hire people who know what they're doing. Uh, That's what I've sort of realized over time is You know, like a lot of us, I'm reluctant to spend money on myself or on others. But if I am going to spend, it's going to be because it gets to an area that I don't know about. Lexblog for me isn't the cheapest way to do a blog. But They gave me the expertise to get me going in a way that I had struggled with for a number of years. Um, It's not going to be the same for everyone. There are a lot of opportunities uh, that are out there, but it's finding those situations that can help you grow. Um, And, you know, it's worth spending a little bit of money on to save you money or to make you more money in the long run. And that's a hard, hard thing to see because, you know, in the short term, every dollar counts. But, uh, but making those smart investments can really help uh, in the long run.
3: Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome and, uh, you know, appreciate your uh, your friendship and guidance over the years and uh, can, we'll continue to read the blog and hopefully maybe we'll see a a, a checklist that, that uh, small law firms should be, you know, we, we don't know what we don't know, just something to keep us up there's, at night.
1: There's a content idea for you, Dan. He's, he's, he's angling for some free advice. This is what you so, guys so, do to each other. I'm a Scranton yeah. grad. I'm also a Pennsylvania college grad. I went to Scranton. <laughs> I call my Scranton buddies on how to tap a keg. We we don't don't talk employment law. It's like how many shots can you get out of a out of this bottle of booze? And 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 it's probably if it's something.
5: If it was Pennsylvania, it was probably Rolling Rock as well. So, uh, so somewhere in there. I, look, I, uh, I, I will leave you with this thought, which is I did have someone reach out to me going, hey, has there been anyone who's written about um, how to do vaccines in the workplace for the pandemic? I haven't seen any rules about that. So right. sure enough, there was a blog post on that uh, a few days later. So um, check out the uh, CT Employment Law blog in a few days. We'll see what's up there. Awesome. thank
3: you so much appreciate it Dan,
1: thank you take
5: so much care, for
3: guys. Being with
1: us. have a great one
3: bye take
1: care
0: hey it's becca here i'm sure you've heard jim and tyson mention the guild on the podcast and in the facebook group the guild is this perfect mix of a community group coaching and a mastermind guild members get so many benefits including weekly live events and discounts to all maximum lawyer events Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the Guild to check out all the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode.
1: Well, yet another wonderful interview, you know, Seth. These Thursday interviews really, really helped me sort of get a, a better understanding of where I need to go with my firm as it grows. Uh, and some of the things that Dan brought up uh, I got to go back and, and spend some time tomorrow, Friday. You know, people are out of the office. I'm going to go in and just make sure we're doing things the right way. What do you think?
3: No, no. I Look, I I want to make sure. I, I know that we do a really good job on a lot of things he talked about from learning through the hard way. But uh, it sounds like there's some pitfalls that I w- were not on my radar. I want to make sure my team has them on their radar.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, I have some other friends that are partners at his law firm. And about a decade ago, I sent a request, I said, hey, do you guys have a model employee handbook I could take a look at? And I'm thinking now, thank God I have, I'm not using it anymore. Uh, but it's really it's something that I should probably be, you know, affirm my operation, my size um this is something that i should just be investing in annually and and having somebody looking at these things to make sure that we're doing it right it's it's an investment But as
3: you said less is more because we aren't we aren't ge and yes you want to have your sexual harassment policy nailed down but to me everything you do is fraught with peril that's the business side of me so you put a dress code in and you don't enforce it for one person and we see viral videos going where you know some awful, an awful situation recently in Atlanta over whether an address code was being enforced against an African American man when a Caucasian woman at the bar was not you know uh, being thrown out for sneakers. Like I again, everything you put in writing has a repercussion. So I think Dan, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely double down. But it it, it is not it is not like oh it is it, less is more. I think uh, applies to this the employee handbook compared to other areas where if you do put stuff that you're not thinking about if it's manageable so you know you can enforce it great but if you start putting stuff that you can't remember and your team is not enforcing that that's a whole other liability uh pill there
1: yeah it absolutely is you know one of the things that i've done for years as as uh, every time I would go away with my wife, we'd you know, get a day to ourselves and go to the spa or something like that. I always would bring you know, Inc., Entrepreneur Magazine, Fast Company, and I would sit there and I'd page through it. And always on my iPad, I would have Dan's blog. And I would literally just scroll through the titles and be like, oh, I got to read this. I got to read that. And in the last eight months, I haven't done that because I haven't taking that time away from my kids drive driving me crazy, but it is what it is. But so it's, I think it's really something I just need to put on my calendar to remember to do every couple of weeks is just look and see these things because that blog does give a lot of good advice, uh, even if it's not something of your magnitude that you need to put in. It's just something to be aware of on the horizon. You know,
3: I just had an idea for uh, Max Law Founders for, uh, um, for, for Jim and Tyson. It may be worth some sort of content we're always worried about the business law but this is a CLE not for like your law firm CLE not for your your law license but business CLE what do you need to know what are the fundamentals in a box I always want to know can you can you give me like what are the I asked I asked today the top 10 can we get something that gives people a checklist to it's not Bulletproof and it's not ex, ex, you know, exhaustive, but what are the things? Are you thinking about independent contractors? Are you thinking about interns? Are You thinking about overtime? What are the ten things that you should be thinking about that you may not be?
1: I love that. You know, I, I that was one of the great things about Max Lawcon is that it was it was not legal education, but it was stuff that helps you run your business better. Uh, and I think certainly an employment law pr- perspective is something that uh, everybody in this community can really, really get something out of. Uh, maybe we can draft Dan uh, to come give us a presentation uh, and, and at some point in the future, or at least get him back as another guest. And anybody who's listening to this, I think it's important that you go back, listen to our podcast. As you know, we are syndicated on the Maximum Lawyer podcast. We are available on our own standalone podcast. You could watch us here live, Uh, All of our videos are available on our Max Growth Live Facebook page, uh, but make sure that you go back, rewatch it. And and websites. And our website, yeah. Maximum Growth Live, the website. Uh, we got to work on that website, though. Yeah, we'll work way.
3: on it. <laughs> but it's, it's, but, 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 it's, but it's, it's sort of like, look, you got to start somewhere. So is it absolutely. the prettiest, prettiest website? No, absolutely not. But again, get it live, get, you know, get your business going. And that's sort of a metaphor we talked about today. You don't want to do stuff stupid. Don't go and like, don't pay overtime. But you got to start. There's risk in everything you do. Is it the prettiest website? No, but we got it up. Now we can make it pretty as opposed to it's not even up.
1: I I love that. I love that. And I know for me, a number of years ago, once they started changing the rules about interns and it has to be something educational and it doesn't necessarily make you money in that perspective, I just said, you know what, I'm paying everybody. Uh, and so I've had college students who be like, "Well, I can't get paid," and I'm like, "Well, you can't work here unless you get paid," uh, because I just I'm not taking that risk. I'm just I, it was
3: something. So
1: that, and, and on you know, I mean, that
3: on that note, I just I just answered this online in Max Law the other day. To me, it's the right thing to do. It's the right side of the law. You know, you will eventually get sued. Will it happen with that person? Maybe, maybe not. But I also find that you get much better candidates. That people, you, if you make six intern offers, two to three may show up if it's unpaid, whereas you'll get four to five when it's paid, yeah. and that the length of time you keep the people. There's a certain number of people that need the financial con- uh, compensation. You might get somebody, but when you get somebody where they really don't need the money, in general with, with life and business, I want somebody who needs the paycheck. I don't want somebody who's just interested in it because they might stay with it. But more often than not, and I think it's a, a very high percentage, it, it turns out, oh, well, I'm not getting paid. Therefore, either I take something paid or it's an interest. And if my interest tweaks, it's gone. So that when you have somebody where they're actually receiving a check that means something to them, the, the odds of it successfully working out long term are much greater.
1: Totally agree totally agree all right so with that let's end the show uh we're a little shorter than normal but of course we're longer than we ever expected that's just the way it goes you know i don't think we've ever actually had a 30 minute show Seth. that was our plan and i don't think we've ever so maybe one of these days we'll be able to get everything in in 30 minutes but the great thing is is like i said people can come back to us watch us over and over again and i guess maybe if you watch this or listen to this you can do it on two times speed and get us in and In half the time. So with that, we're going to sign off. I am Jay Ruane. Look at this. I got it right this time. He is Seth Price. I was thinking in my head, don't get it wrong. Don't get it wrong. He is Seth Price, Blue Shark Digital, as well as Price Benowitz down DC, Maryland, Virginia. I'm Jay Ruane. Thank you so much for being with us on this edition of Max Growth Live. We'll see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Maximum Growth Live.